On today's episode of Roots Music History, we are talking about a line of guitars that are over 600 years old. You see this guitar? This guitar is 619 years old. They are making some of the greatest guitarists in this country stop their rehearsals and drop their jaws. Thomas Rhett ended up getting a Stratocaster style instrument made from the Baskin Richo. He's friends with Steve Cropper. He played in Booker T and the MGs. He played in the Blues Brothers with Belushi. He wrote Green Onions with Booker T and the MGs. He also got me uh, a commission to build a guitar for Steve Cropper, and uh, that's been great, you know? Not only are the guitars gorgeous, but they sound incredible. The guitar being made out of oak and it's sounding that good was really mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. The white oak tree was actually one of George Washington's trees on a field hospital he ran in the Revolutionary War. Multiple people had been buried underneath this tree, 35 Revolutionary soldiers, and according to the town, Betsy Ross was also buried underneath this tree. Welcome back to the Roots Music History Podcast. Usually we talk about the stories behind songs and the stories behind various artists, their biographies, their discographies. We talk about legends as well as new up and coming artists. But today's video I am very excited about because it is unlike any story you have ever heard before. A year ago, I covered George Groon of Groon Guitars here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's been exactly one year since I made that video about George Groon when this story came to me. I have been so captivated by this story and a man named Dave Schneck. Dave Schneck is a woodworker who one day received a call about a 619-year-old tree in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. This 619-year-old tree was planted on the grounds of a field hospital that was ran by George Washington and Lafayette in the Revolutionary War. There were massive efforts over the years to keep the tree alive, but eventually the tree died and they had to take it down. What better way to keep the tree alive than through music? I saw one of the guitars in person. It literally gave me chills seeing a guitar with 619 year old wood. It was beautiful and insane. And I have people who have played those guitars who are going to speak in this podcast and speak to the tone of the guitar and how good the guitar actually sounds. So without further ado, let's dig up the roots of these 619 year old guitars that are just now in circulation. Now, Dave Schneck was not always part of the music industry. This tree has really introduced him to the music industry in ways that he never could have imagined. Growing up, he would help his father in habitat improvement projects in his town. Dave and his father have played a huge role in making the Pennsylvania forest preserves what they are today. So I've been in the wood business my whole life. When I met my current wife, we met tubing down the Delaware River. She oh got in God. Jersey and I got in in Pennsylvania. And I always say that I took her over like a pirate ship. I fired a warning shot over the bow and ran her up on the beach. We got together and then Hurricane Sandy happened. Hurricane Sandy out here really devastated New Jersey. Immediately after the hurricane hit, Dave and his wife realized that the town had a very serious problem. There was a senior citizen community not far from his house that had been completely blocked by downed trees. With Dave's experience, he was the person perfect man to clear those trees out of the road so that emergency personnel could get to the senior citizen community if there was an emergency there. So immediately following Hurricane Sandy, Dave sprung into action with his machinery and his tools and his knowledge. The town started catching wind. He had all of the machinery and the tools and the knowledge to help. I had people everywhere just clawing at me to help. 
Through the hurricane efforts, Dave realized a lot of the trees were just simply being thrown away. As a woodworker, this was devastating for him to see. When he sees wood, all he sees are possibilities. I wanted to salvage all this timber. I started finding properties, lots, piling up all these logs so I could sort through them. So we get roads open and everything. And then I started managing it for flooring, for cabinetry, for instruments, for whatever. One of the folks Dave had come into contact with during these hurricane restoration projects had been approached by a local church about a tree. This tree at the time was over 600 years old, and it was the oldest oak tree in the United States of America. There were massive efforts throughout the years to keep this tree alive because the town knew this tree was planted and stood on the same grounds where George Washington and Lafayette had their field hospital in the Revolutionary War. By the time George Washington and Lafayette had their field hospital on this property, the tree was already pretty old. In fact, an analysis of the tree dated it back to being planted in the year 1398. For years after the tree was planted, various religious leaders would come and worship underneath the tree and preach to the people of the town of Basking Ridge. Ultimately, in the year 1717, they decided to build a little log cabin right next to the tree as a place of worship. In the year 1740, the legendary George Whitfield preached underneath this tree with James Davenport to a crowd of over 3,000 people as part of the first Great Awakening revival that was sweeping through America. In 1770, a winter encampment was built by George Washington for the soldiers of the Revolutionary War down in Morristown, which was really close to this log cabin property and to the oak tree. Nine years after that winter encampment was built, they would experience the worst winter of the 18th century. Diaries from the soldiers recorded that an average of five large snowstorms occurred between November and April of 1779. Each snowstorm lasting at least four days. In lieu of this terrible winter, Washington and a doctor named James Tilton decided to build a field hospital just down the slope of the hill where that log cabin church and the big Basking Ridge oak tree stood. This was an ideal location because it was close to Morristown and it was also right next to a freshwater spring, which provided the soldiers and the doctors with all of the water they needed for cooking, drinking, and washing. It was also just a very short walk up the hill to the church and right next to this beautiful oak tree, which had become a burial ground. We don't know exactly when the first person was buried underneath this oak tree, but the oldest stone that they found dated back to 1736. This was just a very holy ground. So whenever a soldier at the field hospital didn't make it, they would be buried underneath this oak tree as well. If there wasn't another place that the family wanted them buried, there were 35 Revolutionary War veterans in total that were documented to have been buried underneath this tree. According to the township, Betsy Ross was also buried underneath this tree. After the field hospital closed, the nurses and the soldiers and everyone who worked there would go on and tell the community about everything that had happened on the property and how George Washington and Lafayette would have lunch underneath this big oak tree. The property's ownership changed hands a couple of times, but it always remained a church. And by the 1900s, the church had been rebuilt about three or four times and expanded on as the congregation continued to grow. The church also started adding into their annual budget the expenses necessary to maintain the integrity of the tree. In the 1920s, the tree underwent a massive restoration project. They injected concrete, steel rods, and copper wire into the trunk and branches in an attempt to keep 
keep it standing as long as possible. This was a huge project. I can tell you that by 2016, the tree's dimensions were 156 feet for the spread of its limbs and the circumference of the trunk was a whopping 20 feet. But alas, years after Hurricane Sandy, the tree had died and it needed to come down because at this point, it was a massive hazard. The woman who knew Dave Schneck, who had been contacted by the local church about this tree, calls Dave and says, Dave, we need your help. Dave said, absolutely not. No. No way. I said, I don't want nothing to do with it. So there's going to be people throwing eggs at us. You can't cut down the oldest white oak tree in the country. At the time, it was the oldest white oak tree in the United States. But it soon became clear to Dave this was a hazard to the community and they had no choice but to take down the tree. Dave partnered up with a man named Keith. Keith went to the local church and kind of did all of the grunt work of figuring out how tall the tree was, how big it was, what was inside the tree, what would be involved in having to take it down. The trunk, I sent you the picture of it in the crane. That's yeah. 25 tons of wood that's picked out of the center of that cemetery. Keith came back and kind of relayed all all of this information to Dave. He did all the legwork. I had nothing to do with it, but he met with the church and he had hours and hours and hours of studying this tree. And we put x-ray around the tree to see where we knew that there was 7,000 pounds of cement put in the tree back in the twenties to save the tree. And there was miles of cable and lightning copper wire. We had people come in from Germany to make sure that we declared the tree dead and not savable. We covered every base. The church had tasked us with memorializing the tree, so to speak. A year after the tree came down, the church came back to my partner and I, Keith, and said, we want you to form a company to repurpose this tree. We're going to give you all the tree except for the main trunk that was going to a furniture maker to make a table for the town and a table for the church. But you guys can have everything else and whatever he doesn't use, he'll give back to you. We bought a sawmill and we started milling it all up. And Keith and I started with these ideas of making things. So we made beautiful, they're still for sale, copper wire crosses made from this copper wire that went up and down this tree. We did candle votives. We did centerpieces for your table with little candles, tea candles. And we did pocket knives and pens and women's jewelry. And we did so many things and we launched it right around Christmas time. The lines were down the street to buy our stuff from this tree. Everybody wanted to own a piece of it. The coolest products were made from this tree, but Dave really wanted a way to tell the story of the tree. He wanted a way to get the story out to the world, to more people so that they could learn about not only the significance of this tree, but just the significance of trees in general, how trees can tell you a story, tell you history, and give you this little bit of insight into where we all came from. So one day, Dave was driving around in his car, listening to the radio, when he had a great idea. What better way to keep the tree alive than through music? Dave found a man named Bill Mitchell. And I believe it was 2018. He called me up and he, you know, he said he was just going through a list of guitar makers in the area, like New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania. And if I would be interested in doing this project with this old tree, I thought, I was like, well, I'm always interested, but I don't know if I could work with the wood. I would have to see it. He stopped in. He had a pickup truck just full of a lot of the wood. I said, well, you know what? It's It looks like it's going to be kind of stubborn wood. I don't want to make an acoustic guitar out of it, but I'd be happy to make an electric and let's see what happens. I made an acoustic guitar out of oak many years ago. It was a very stable piece of wood, so it bent really nice, really beautiful. 
beautifully. And I was actually really surprised at how warm and full it sounded because I thought it was going to be a real hard, bright sound, but it was amazing. It was really warm. It's not known in the industry to be a tone wood. You know, traditional tone woods are uh, rosewood, mahogany, and then you go from there. It could be cherry, maple, walnut. Any wood that's stable and that you can cut and bend, you'd be able to make a guitar. It doesn't really matter the species. But I looked at the grain structure of the 600-year-old the tree, and it was very wavy. Some of the planks of wood had some twisting to it. And that's kind of when you look at it and say, I don't know, it could be pretty squirrely. Let's see. Let's see what happens when we cut it smaller. Some pieces just like took off and turned into just a split up potato chip. And, and so I had to put that aside and other pieces were like a little waffled. And if I clamped them and really straightened them out, they held up nice. And I said, all right, let's, let's try this. I was really happy that in the, the end result was quite successful, but it's stubborn wood. <laughs> it was a stubborn tree, <laughs> you know, stubborn old tree. <laughs> I said, let me take these pieces of wood. Let me process them. Here's my ideas for a couple of, you know, a solid body guitar. And he said, well, I'd like to order two. In the process of making the guitars, they realized they could not use the white oak for the neck of the guitar. It could really only be used for the body. I did make the neck. I make all, I, I, I machine all the wood on every one of my guitars from, I make the bridges, I make the fingerboards from raw material. I make the necks. And on these, these guitars, I said to him, I said, I think the wood is too squirrely to trust as a neck because of the tension, it might twist. And, I, and he gave me some walnut. Now this walnut wood ended up being from a tree that was on a property in Pennsylvania that was owned by a family called the Shanses. Dave looked up the history of the Shanses and realized that the Shanses immigrated to America with another family from Germany called the Martins. Not only did the Shanses and the Martins immigrate to America together from Germany, they were also really good family friends. Once they settled in Pennsylvania, they made sure to be neighbors. And one of the Shantz family members was actually a heart surgeon who ended up doing heart surgery on Chris Martin, the founder of Martin Guitars. Obviously, Dave is very excited because now he has walnut wood that is perfect for the necks of these electric guitars. The walnut wood is from the same era, from the same time period, has the same sort of historical significance. So now that Dave has this walnut wood, he decides not only should he make necks for these electric guitars, but he should tell Martin Guitars. Dave calls up his contact at Martin Guitars, tells them that he's got this beautiful slab of wood from the Shantz family's property who had this incredible connection with Chris Martin and Martin Guitars. Well, Martin Guitars obviously wants the wood. Martin ends up buying a huge slab of this walnut wood from Dave Schneck. And they told Dave they were going to make three guitars out of the wood. One of them would be for Dave himself. The other was going to go to the Martin Guitar Museum. And the third would be auctioned off. All of the proceeds from the guitar that Martin said they would auction off would go to a charity of Dave's choice. Dave was obviously elated. He was so excited. Dave even flew out to the Martins headquarters and shook hands with the guy who made him this proposition. That was five years ago. And Dave has not heard back from Martin Guitars on this. They literally made him a deal, shook his hand on it, and then ghosted him. If anybody watching this knows anyone at Martin, can you ask them 
why they ghosted Dave. <laughs> Luckily, Martin Guitars ghosting him wasn't the end of his journey. In fact, it was only the beginning. While Dave was waiting to hear back from Martin Guitars, he and Bill Mitchell continued the build on the two electric guitars that would have the walnut neck and the white oak body. They decided to make two initially. While Bill Mitchell was building these two electric guitars, Dave saw a local musician playing named Alan Grant. Dave loved Alan's sound and loved his style. He knew that he had these two guitars in progress and he thought what better way to get the story of the tree out into the world than to have a musician play the guitar in their shows and tell the story of the guitar to every audience they play for. I don't think Dave could have picked a better musician to play these instruments. Alan Grant spent 12 years as an international marketing director and vice president in the professional photographic industry. He was actually inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame in New Jersey in 2012, but he has always been a passionate musician. In 1996, Alan and his wife decided to combine their love of marketing and music and production and founded what has become an award-winning full-service video and voiceover production agency. Even though Alan has a professional background, he has been a part of the music industry for the last 30 plus years. He's opened for acts such as Dave Davies of The Kinks, Poco, the late Clarence Clemens of Springsteen's E Street Band, and has also shared the stage with John Bon Jovi, Rob Thomas, John Mayer, and many more. Alan also co-founded a foundation called United We Stand to raise the spirits of our American troops. United We Stand is actually now positioned to be a full-blown documentary about the American flag. I was honored to talk with Alan about his experience playing these incredible guitars. Dave had sent me a message through Facebook Messenger, which I do not use. We never talked about how long that message was actually there. Basically said, I've come to see you play. I have a really cool project. And I called him up and I said, hey, Alan, I said, I saw you playing at the Claremont Tavern. I really like your style. And I said, well, I'm going to make a guitar from this old oak tree. And I wanted to know if you would be willing to take the guitar, go around and play it when you play your gigs and just tell the story. You know, I'm holding this guitar and we're playing the intro. I just say, you see this guitar? And everyone goes, yes. I say, this guitar is 619 years old. And people go nuts. And then I tell the story about how Dave sent me a message. And from that message, uh, not only was a great friendship formed, a great story was formed. Two guitars were built from this. And the amount of press coverage that's happened from this initial meeting has been great. So as it turns out, he wound up with guitar number two. So we call it Martha one and Martha two because it was George Washington's wife. I actually have it here. Do you want to see it? There we go, there we go. This is the guitar. I can give you the whole view. This was Bill Mitchell's build, yeah, and it even has the tree on the back of the guitar. When Dave built the first one, he asked me to go on the road and play it so he could show people not only the, the beautiful craftsmanship, but also to talk about the story about how we met. And I did that for a while. And he was so thrilled that I did that. He said, well, how about if I build you one to your specifications? And you're probably the only one who's played both. Actually, I am the only one who's played both. I wrote a song and he didn't know this at the time, but I wrote a song called United We Stand. It was a song about the American flag, patriotism and, and the country getting back. So I played that at every show I played and I'd have military families come up and 
hug me for playing it. I sent about 2,000 of those CDs over to our troops at our cost uh, in Iraq, Afghanistan, Stan and Lebanon. For a while we were doing United We Stand concerts. We did, we did our first one on the deck of the USS New Jersey, which was phenomenal. The first time I picked it up, Dave came over to my house, stopped rehearsal, and I showed the guys and they were just blown away. And I plugged it in and it was just, it's definitely heavier. So it's oak, right? White oak. It's the oldest white oak tree in the country. Very heavy. Maybe more comparable to like a Gibson Les Paul. Um, because it's heavy, it's just got this beautiful sustain to it and sound to it, crystal clear. And Bill did a great job. Bill Mitchell did a great job on the build. And it's just beautiful from every angle. This guitar will never be beat. You know, um, it'll be here long after I'm not in mint condition. One day, Dave was out chopping wood when he had another idea, whiskey barrels. So he ended up contacting Mount Vernon because they have a distillery there. And of course, this wood is from George Washington's field hospital. So he contacts Mount Vernon and the head of distillery there named Steve and tells Steve that he's got this really great wood from George Washington's Field Hospital. He would like to make some whiskey barrels out of them for his distillery. He makes a deal with Steve and then also tells Steve that he's making guitars. Steve's ears pop up when he says that he's making guitars because Steve also plays guitar. Soon after speaking with Steve at the Mount Vernon Distillery, Dave got a call from Angel Cropper, who is Steve Cropper's wife. Steve Cropper has been ranked by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the greatest guitarists of all time. He's played on several studio recordings, including Sitting on the Dock of the Bay and his song Soul Man. He's also played with the Blues Brothers and lead singer John Belushi. Eventually, he branched off and set up his own studio, TMI Studios, where he went on to work with many other musicians, including but not limited to Rod Stewart, the Jeff Beck Group, Ringo Starr, and John Lennon. Cropper lived in L.A. for a long period of time before moving to Nashville and reuniting with the Blues Brothers. He's also played at Madison Square Garden for Bob Dylan's 30th anniversary concert. He played backup for Eric Clapton, George Harrison, Tom Petty, Johnny Cash, Stevie Wonder, and Neil Young. He's also played at Eric Clapton's Crossroads Guitar Festival, which is probably my favorite thing on earth. He was also inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2009. So we're not talking just a regular old kid with a guitar over here. This is an extremely professional guitarist now approaching Dave for one of his guitars. Angel says, hey there, uh, my name is Angel. I was just talking to Steve who works at Mount Vernon and we heard that you're making guitars out of some really cool historic wood. Is that correct? Dave said, yes, that's correct. And Angel said, well, we would love to have one of those guitars for Steve Cropper. And Dave's mouth just kind of like, <laughs> dropped open. He's like, what? Okay. And now if you remember, Dave is still waiting to hear back from Martin Guitars. He gives one last Hail Mary to Martin and says, what's the deal with these guitars? The guy says, uh, well, we'll have a meeting about it and call you back. And he never did. And Dave was like, if you don't call me back, I'm going to do my own thing. So Dave does not hear back from Martin. Martin, what are you doing over there? So Dave ends up going back to Bill Mitchell. He sent me a text. And what was really funny was he misspelled Steve Cropper's last name. And I think he called him Steve Topper. And I was like, and I looked at it and, and I thought he said, Nashville, Steve Topper, like as if I should have known who he was. And I, and I laughed to myself and I, and I just put Topper with a question mark. 
And he comes back, he goes, oh, I meant cropper. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I, you know, that's, I kind of thought he meant it. Dave actually handled talking with Steve's wife. He kind of handled the details. And he just told me, build this with these woods and, and do what you can. And I, and I, I grabbed all the, I think, the, the really, really interesting sections that were left of that tree that Dave had. And I thought it turned out really cool. I really liked it. While Dave is going back to Bill Mitchell, word is also getting around in Steve Cropper's network that Steve Cropper is going to get a guitar from this really cool historic wood. There's another Steve in this story named Steve Cook. Steve Cook is a bass player himself. He has played and recorded with many musicians, including, but not limited to, Luke Bryan, Phil Vassar, Frankie Ballard, Megan McCauley, Sister Hazel, Trent Tomlinson, Bucky Covington, and of course, Steve Cropper. I'm Steve Cook. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm here on Roots Music History, and we are here to talk about this. It's a pretty crazy story. My mantra in life is you are always right where you're supposed to be. And I happened to be at a party with Steve Cropper. This is his 80th birthday party and we had just finished performing at the Ryman along with a lot of other great friends, uh, Mike Mills and Jason Sheff and, and uh, Billy Gibbons and, and the like, Phil Bassard. We were at the after party and there was a gentleman taking pictures there and he had this guitar and the guitar had been presented to Steve earlier in the evening as made from the Basking Ridge Oak. Now, I'm a history nut. Touring musician, I would just go out and find any history I could in all these towns that I played over the decades. And so, of course, my uh, my my sort of senses heightened when I heard him say 600 years old. And I had to talk to this guy. But I said, hey, what's going on with this? What is this story here? He told me, and I said, well, that's a cool guitar, but are you making basses? And he was like, no. And I said, well, let's... Let's fix that. Now, this puts a whole new kink in the system. Dave and Bill were only doing electric guitars. Dave goes to Bill Mitchell and says, hey, what do you think? Can you make a bass guitar? Bill Mitchell said, honestly, I can't. Steve Cook ends up telling his friend Travis Vance, who is the guitarist for Thomas Rhett, about this really cool wood that's going to be hopefully part of his bass guitar. Well, Travis Vance also plays the bass guitar and also really wants one of these guitars. So now Dave has two artists who want two bass guitars. <laughs> sort of this uh, flurry of conversation starts, you know, texts and emails and calls and all these things sort of all get matched together. I have a, a great builder in Newport News that uh, I love and, and I work with, and his name is Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman knows a thing or two when it comes to making a bass guitar. In 2016, he told Bass Musician Magazine that he was self-taught out of necessity because he was extremely picky about how his instruments played, but couldn't afford to keep paying someone else to do all of his setups. Chris took the knowledge of instrument repair and transferred it into Coleman Baseworks. It wasn't until Chris was approached by a man named Keith Horn that his bass business really took off. Keith Horn was very well connected in the industry. He had played with acts such as Peter Frampton, Tanya Tucker, Waylon Jennings, Sons of the Desert, Trisha Yearwood, Lone Star, and the list goes on. Since Chris typically receives his wood from local suppliers or vendors, he was incredibly excited to have the opportunity to embark on a few builds with this incredibly historic tree. So Steve and I have been good friends since we met at the NAM show in Nashville. I think it was back in 2015. And he texted me one day and presented this Basking Ridge Oak thing. And I thought, well, you know, oak is not really something that you build a guitar out of, but okay, I'm game. And so I connected David and Chris Coleman and, and said, listen, 
this guy needs to build bases. This guy needs to build the bases for you. I was on the road with Phil Bassett. We were playing at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia. David came down from the Northeast. Of course, I was in the middle. And then uh, Chris came up from Virginia. All sort of met in the middle. David had shown up. You know, he had come down with his pickup truck full of stuff. And Chris had come with his truck. And, and we just really didn't know what was going to happen. We, we literally sat down. We had a finite amount of time to sort of figure out what we're going to do because we're all coming from different parts of the country and uh and so we went back by the dumpsters where the feral cats live and uh and did open the pickup truck and chris just went oh my gosh we did we met out by the dumpster he pulled the wood out and a lot of it had some really neat grain to it this is this is unreal and so we just started you know you start pulling out pieces and you're like oh this is cool and then it's like oh my, wait a minute but this is cool and this is good and so the figuring was beautiful and and there were all these amazing pieces in there it also had some coloration because as you know there there was some steel inside the tree at one point that gave off a, a residue i noticed there was some splitting and in, in places and I, I didn't really know what we could do with it but i said okay i'll take it all let me see what i can do now chris coleman was vital to this process chris coleman agreed he was not just going to put the wood through a machine he was going to craft it by hand and it was in that moment that travis and steve cook realized they were going to get their dream guitar there's a lot of leftover because of wood checking and splitting and what have you. We made three bases. This is a pretty standard, you know, 34 inch scale instrument. I do like a thinner neck, which is more of a, what we call a jazz neck. It's fatter up top and then it tapers to a seat, but this gets more shallow as you head up. And this is a four bolt design. This is a passive bass, passive instrument, so you don't have to worry about batteries. You know, using the studio, uh, I've used it live. The pickup, single coil pickup. And this pickup is very special to me because it is made by a company called Sheptone. This is called the Miles. And the Miles pickup is named after my second son. My second son is deaf, and he went to the Mamalia Hearing School here at Vanderbilt. He's mainstream kindergarten now, and he's a rock star. He's gifted program and best reader in kindergarten and everything else. But proceeds from the sale of this pickup go to Vanderbilt, to the Mamalia Hearing School. So it's a pretty... It's a pretty special thing, but it also sounds amazing. The basses sounded fantastic. I was really amazed because oak is not a wood you normally use for that. So the sustain was incredible. And as I understand it, they've been using them in the studio. They've been using them on stage a lot. I, I was I was just blown away. And then when I had made a bass for Travis, I made a bass for Steve Cook, and I made one for Dave, and then I made a guitar for Thomas Rhett. Thomas Rhett ended up getting a Stratocaster style instrument made from the Basking Ritual. And what was really cool is that when you get on a level, especially in a highly produced uh, concert situation, um, you can't just grab a new guitar and plug it in and play. And that sounds crazy because you should be able to do that, but there are a lot of steps. You have to dial it in, you know, basically. Thomas had no problem playing it that day that he got the instrument and went up opening song of the show, you know, 18,000 or whatever it was and played that instrument. And it's, and it's pretty awesome. When TR opened the Virginia Beach show with that guitar, I was like a kid in a candy store. We had no idea. And you typically don't do that. You, you have your setup, you have all your instruments dialed in and you don't want the unknowns. You know, I got a text message about two minutes before they started. Travis texted me and said, make sure you have your cameras ready. He was backstage. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And sure enough, 
he came out with it and I was just I was good for the rest of the night. <laughs> I was there with Chris when and Travis when T Red got it. Enter a man named Mark Dunn. I was honored to sit down on a Zoom call with Mark. He has been the fly on the wall through this entire process. And I wanted to know what his experience was like witnessing all of this unfold and playing the guitars himself. Now Mark is a professional studio and touring musician with years in the music business. Mark's been working on a project recently called Top Gear with award-winning producer Andrew Coleman, who is best known for his works with Prince, Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, The Rolling Stones, and just many, many more. Mark Dunn's guitar licks have been described as uplifting, but yet wall-shaking, and quote, leaving people in awe. Not only is Mark Dunn an incredibly talented guitarist, he is also super passionate about sharing his love of music and technical skills. Every Sunday, he actually offers a lesson called Chords and Coffee. But for now, let's listen to Mark Dunn's experience with these 600-year-old guitars. I was there with Chris when, and Travis when T-Rex got it. And the Coleman basses, it's, it's, it's somewhat grassroots. People love the basses, and I think that uh, Dave picked a a great guy to, to do right by them and build it with that word. I didn't play the bass plugged in. I did pl- I did eventually plug in the guitar, though, because I was floored at how good it sounded. The bass is just, you know, even unplugged, of just, you know, like just rang, uh, you know. You know, you have your disparate tones. That's not the type of sound that that Paul McCartney would have used. That's a really muted sound that Paul had. Not that you couldn't get it with these, but you can't take Paul McCartney's bass and get these sounds. However, you could invert that. You know what I mean? The sustain on these things was dumb. And I say dumb in a good way. Sorry. I mean, just dumb. Like, just like, holy shit, dude. Like, forever. I will tell you, though, as a guitar player, primarily, I mean, obviously, I play bass for recordings in the studio, but it's not as surprising that it works for bass. It's still surprising. Don't get me wrong. There are woods that they'll use on exotic basses that you wouldn't see on electric guitar. Coca-Bola, Rubinga, things like that. But still, it's oak. I mean, like, there's <laughs> nobody's making an oak bass. It's a it's furniture wood. And I can guarantee to you that somebody did build an oak bass to determine that nobody should build an oak bass. But on the other end, the guitar being made out of oak and it's sounding that good was really mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. So I think a little bit of that goes with the mystique of the wood, and a lot of it goes with the fact that Chris put it together. When you think about how old vintage guitars are the benchmark for new guitars as far as sound is concerned, it's, it's all just a bunch of virtuous, happy accidents. I don't think anybody set out to say that these D45s before World War II are gonna be the shit. They just wound up being like the benchmark, you know what I mean? And there's only 91 of them, but it's that kind of thing. And this, I think this kind of thing with Chris on this guitar and this wood and these basses, same deal. Well, it made me rethink a little bit about oak. We do have some builds out of that oak in the hopper. There are two of these bases in Nashville. Uh, I know there are many more on the way. They are uh, taking custom orders for them now. There's another short-scale design that is being produced of these Bassing Ridge Oak called the Miles. The Miles base. It's a short scale bass. Specifically designed for guitar players that love to play bass on their own tracks. I love the fact that the story of this tree is not going to stop. And it's really funny because David, you know, he's he's a, a huge proponent for this whole thing. And, and he's continuing on the, the soul of this tree and the spirit of this tree. You know, even in like the little things that he makes out of this bookmarks or cheese boards or something, it sounds so silly. 
but it's extending that life a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Hopefully, these are things, these are heirlooms that will be passed down and passed down, uh, especially this that um, hopefully my kids won't destroy, you know, after I'm gone and uh, and they appreciate, which they will, and uh, and give to their kids and their grandkids and keep that story going and keep the music going. Trees and music pretty much bind us all. I mean, how many people happen to be in the right place at the right time to get an opportunity like this? It's a part of history. To be a part of this little nuance in history is pretty cool. It's really cool. Dave said he's still got a ton of wood in his shop, so we're going to get through I, I still have some wood that hasn't been cut. You know, hopefully we'll get through that and then we'll contact Dave and we'll kind of resurrect this whole process over again. Some things in life we may never understand. For example, how does this white oak sound so incredible in every single guitar that is made? What is it? Is it the ghosts of the spirits of the tree from the past? Is it how many times the tree got struck by lightning or something? Who knows what makes these guitars sound so incredible. But one thing that we know for sure is that this tree is going to live on forever in people's hearts, in their souls, and now through their music. Conversation Steam coming up off the stove Photographs down the staircase Showing our stories unfold And every time I hear a song My father used to sing to me Sweet words of an Irish lullaby Get the feeling I need A little taste of 